And of course, we need to reiterate, when we talk about these Best Picture nominations, it's not really about finding the best movies of the year. That's not really the purpose of the Academy Awards. It's an opportunity to bring visibility in a diversity of titles to the global consumer marketplace when we talk about movies. You know, even though we are disappointed with categories like Best Director not having the diversity that they probably should have, I do think that Best Picture race is appropriately diverse in the type of movies and the type of representation. And that's important when we talk about this art form being relevant for global audiences. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Aria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition. Here once again with our co-host, Rebecca Polly, deputy editor at Box Office Pro, and our staff writer, Chad Kennerk, here for your sophomore appearance on the podcast. Chad, welcome back. Guys, a packed episode today. A lot of news to go over. We've got updates from the Sundance Film Festival, Oscar nominations, updates on the international market, and of course, a couple of highlights from major streamers that are going to be impacting exhibition in 2023. But let's start the way we always start, Chad and Rebecca. Did you guys go to the movies last weekend? I did. I got to catch up with Megan, which was a ton of fun. Actually, same. Yeah, it was uh, a lot funnier than I expected it to be. I expected it to have some, you know, jokes and stuff, but it was pretty, pretty funny. It was a really good crowd movie. Like my crowd was was having a real, real good time with it at the theater where I saw here in Brooklyn. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty gnarly for PG-13, actually. Like not <laughs> in was. a gory way, but there was some stuff that kind of made my skin crawl a little bit. The movie's doing fantastically well. Over 70 million already at the domestic box office, crossing the $125 million mark worldwide with a sequel Already on the calendar for 2025. We'll be going over details on that shortly. But yeah, I'm looking forward to catching it. I haven't seen that one yet. Well, Daniel, uh, Chad and I are reveling in our PG-13 whore, and you're doing the work of the, an actual film journalist and uh, covering Sundance. What are the takeaways so far from Sundance? As we, It's about halfway through now, right? Yeah, I mean, we're halfway through the festival so far, and I do have to bring a huge asterisk in this. I'm doing this from New York. I'm 100% doing this from home. A really good initiative from the Sundance Film Festival to make part of their slate available to journalists working remotely. Uh, That's allowed me to watch a couple of screeners so far, including two of the big acquisitions titles so far, guys. The Comedy Theater Camp being picked up by Searchlight, division of Disney. That is scheduled for a theatrical release. We don't have a firm date yet. I saw that. It's pretty funny. On the other end of people that live in New York, the hedge fund romantic drama Fair Play was sold to Netflix for a reported $20 million. I know, Rebecca, if I say hedge fund romantic drama, it doesn't seem like something you're into. But dude, I saw this. It's awesome. The movie's great. I think this is a movie you're going to connect with. It's more about relationships than it is the finance world. I'm just absolutely heartbroken that a movie this good, like Fair Play, is going to end up buried in an algorithm for 17 people to see. Had someone like Neon been able to nab this title and put it in theaters, I think it could have been a great movie for adults to go out to the movies and to talk about. Unfortunately, Netflix overpaid for something that 
I really, truly hope they find some value in promoting because it would be a pity if fair play just doesn't get the visibility it deserves. I mean, hopefully it's something that does find its audience. Maybe it does get some sort of theatrical run like Glass Onion. And hopefully we'll be talking about it this time next year as part of the Oscar conversations. Of course, the nominations came out on Tuesday morning as we're recording this. You know, what stuck out for me is that the most nominated film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, I mean, was theatrical. And I think in large part succeeded because of that, because it was able to kind of grow that buzz and get people uh, to see the film in a way that I don't know if it would have if it had been a streaming release. That said, another one of the major nominees this year, All Quiet on the Western Front, was a Netflix film. As much as we don't like to get into the award race, I think there's a relevance in speaking about the Best Picture nominees and their respective theatrical release strategies. So let's go over these titles real quick, because I think it's fair to go over what some of the release patterns were. Were they a hit? Were they not? Starting with All Quiet on the Western Front, this is one of those titles, guys, that I quite enjoyed. I think it made my top 20 in 2022, but it's the sort of movie that I understand didn't get a wide theatrical release. German language, literary adaptation, difficult subject matter. It's a theatrical movie, wonderful spectacle. I mean, really should be seen on a big screen, but all in all, at least for domestic audiences, I can understand that Netflix didn't put a Glass Onion release behind it. What did you guys think of the film? Have either of you seen it, by the way? I have, actually. It's beautifully shot and kind of a nice contrast between these beautiful images and this really devastating material, that montage at the beginning of, I don't want to give too much away, but just the uh, transition of clothing items and shoes and all of that is, is very cinematic. Let's go into the next title we have here, guys. Avatar, The Way of Water from 20th Century Studios, a movie that crossed the $2 billion mark worldwide this year, already the number six movie of all time at the global box office, a movie that I have to be perfectly honest I walked out of this thing after 75 minutes. Life is too short. I'm glad. I'm glad people are liking it. I'm glad it's nominated. I'm glad something this big can find relevance at the Academy Awards. Please tell me and our audience if you have a greater appreciation for this glorified screensaver that I couldn't sit through. I'm mixed on it, but I do think the third act is the best because it is when James Cameron gets around to action on a boat and he's good at action on a boat. Also, I just have to buy another $30 ticket and like sneak in after two hours to to catch everything I missed. Yeah, just hang out, just hang out in the bar during the first two hours and the third hour and not to jump ahead, except totally to jump ahead. I mean, Top Gun Maverick also got their best picture win, which I'm sure that the cheers of a thousand exhibitors when that one was announced, the story of Top Gun Maverick and its run, how Paramount held on to it for years. They knew what they had. That first screening at CinemaCon where everyone, including our bosses, were just absolutely blown away by it. Yeah, I'm glad that it got this Best Picture nom. I think it's well-deserved. Yeah, Top Gun Maverick. I mean, talk about a movie that made grown men cry. A totally wonderful success story. And as you mentioned, Chad, it's great to see the Academy be able to incorporate foreign titles, art house titles, and big studio titles that connected with audiences in this year's list. Top Gun Maverick, I think, is a very different movie than Avatar The Way of Water. From a cinematic art standpoint, this thing delivers with audiences and from a visual spectacle basis. Whereas Top Gun Maverick, there's no almost real 
it's totally real. Tom Cruise would not have it any other way. <laughs> exactly. The fighter jet scenes, the energy that you have, you're in that cockpit. When you watch it in a premium format, it doesn't look like it's almost there, like it almost could be real. It feels totally authentic. There's a weight to that metal. There's a weight to that object. The gravity pushes these characters down, whereas you have that CGI weightlessness in Avatar that I just as a viewer, can't get past. And I think that includes many of the Marvel movies and these very superhero-intensive films. I'm always going to go for the practical effects, and I'm so glad that Top Gun Maverick got that nomination. Looking further down this list, we've got a specialty title from Searchlight Pictures here, The Banshees of Finisherin. Now, when we talk about box office successes, we do mention great releases like Top Gun Maverick, like Avatar The Way of Water, Banshees of Finisherin from writer-director Martin McDonough, another guy with a theater background here, Chad. I'm interested to hear your take on it. Usually his films do well in award season and can hit that 50 million-ish mark at the box office. This got a Best Picture nom, but I'm not sure too many people saw this at the movies. Were you able to catch it? And as a big theater fan, what was your reaction to Banshees? I love McDonough. I did get to catch this in theaters and it's his first film since his big Oscar winning three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. The acting is great. I think it has that depressing Irish spirit about it. It's uh, it's funny, but <laughs> it's also depressing. It's, 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 it's definitely a film all about depression. So it's not, not the most, uh, yeah, not the most crowd friendly movie, but let's go down further down the list here. We've got Elvis from Warner brothers, another major studio title, another title that connected with a cross quadrant audience, meaning that young people want to go see this. Older people want to go see this. I haven't caught up with Elvis yet. I've actually, with my wife, we've been watching all of Baz Luhrmann's movies again, working up to Elvis. So I'm excited to see how it does. Did you guys catch this one in theaters? No, I caught it on HBO Max and I really wish I had caught it in theaters because obviously it's a Baz Luhrmann movie. Visually, it's spectacular. Over the past year, we've seen uh, several studios re-release newer films or, you know, recut films and release them. I think if Warner Brothers put Elvis back in some cinemas for a few weeks, I would go see it. Certainly, there's been a lot of buzz about film, about the lead actor. So that's one that I wish I'd seen on the big screen. Yeah, I do think that would be a great strategy as we go into the award season for the Oscars. I did catch it in theaters. I think... It's kind of a surprise that it's in Best Motion Picture for me. I think Austin Butler was phenomenal, but the film overall felt like Baz Luhrmann to the extreme. It's so chaotic. That is what we're paying for <laughs> with a Baz Luhrmann movie. And by and large, $150 million in domestic box office, it's a hit. I mean, it worked with audiences. It connected. Next on the list, Everything Everywhere All at Once, leading the pack with 11 nominations, including some ones in the acting categories. I mean, everyone kind of expects Michelle Yeoh and Kihoe Kwan to have been nominated, but I was really happy to see that Stephanie Su, who played the daughter, was as well. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much have said, <laughs> said my piece on this film, both earlier in this episode and, and in past episodes. Daniel, I know it's not for you. You're not a fan so much. Chad, did did you catch this one? Yeah, it was one of my favorite theatrical experiences of 2022, actually, getting to see this big, epic film with a kick-ass, diverse cast. 
and such an emotional impact there at the end. And it is A24's highest grossing movie of all time. One of the best success stories in the 2022 box office, $70 million. Rebecca, you've said this before. If Top Gun Maverick reignited the box office for major circuits at the art house and specialty level, everything everywhere all at once is the example of a movie that can work at independent theaters, at art house cinemas. We had so many examples of specialty titles like Banshees of Finisherin not work in their release schedule, end up on HBO much earlier than they really should have. That wasn't the case with everything, everywhere, all at once. You mentioned this earlier, Rebecca. It was a movie that was allowed and given time to develop and find its audience in a release strategy that was nothing but positive. Strong enough that today it is the film leading the Oscar nominations for 2023. And talking about movies that had a hard time finding an audience that were, I think, rushed into a release strategy that really didn't benefit them. A movie that Rebecca missed here. Chad, have you been able to catch up with this in theaters? Much to my dismay, no. I feel like I am the audience for this movie and I didn't see it. (laughs) I don't know if it's the release date or what it was, but it just got away from me. I love Spielberg. So this is kind of right up my alley. So again, maybe something with that release strategy that just didn't work with the intended audience. I don't think you're alone there, Chad. I think a lot of folks that maybe would have wanted to see The Fablemans simply didn't know when it came out in the theater near them. But the box office, as we've been mentioning, around 15 million now. Guys, this is a, a huge disappointment for a title that was always going to have a hard time standing out in the marketplace. The Fablemans is an expertly crafted middle-brow family drama about middle-class American nuclear family. This is the type of movie that Spielberg knows how to make with his eyes closed. The hard sell here for people that aren't into Steven Spielberg is that there's now monsters or aliens in it. Usually those movies work better when there's an alien in it It's about his own life. It's about himself. That makes it, I think, a little bit trickier to succeed in the marketplace. But all in all, this is a movie that I think really could have benefited from an audience like yourself, Chad, that would have seen it had they only known when they could find it in their own theater. It was all over the place. It's now in contention for Best Picture here in the Academy Awards. Hopefully we see a bump uh, like uh, we're hoping to see from Elvis and Warner Brothers with Universal keeping this in screens for a little bit longer. Uh, Rebecca, what do we have up next here on the list? That would be Tar with Kate Blanchett, which another one I did not see. Uh, this one I have no defense of. This one I definitely should have seen, and I wanted to get out and see it, and it just did not happen. So, oh my, my bad. god, go, go! It's so good. I really, really adore this movie, dude. It's as close to a Kubrick movie as you're going to get at a multiplex today. Todd Field, obviously, having worked with Stanley Kubrick, playing Nick Nightingale the piano player that completely ruins Tom Cruise's sex life in Ice Wide Shut, a movie that teaches us that if you're going to cheat on your wife, you probably should spring for the uber black when going to the billionaire orgy party in Long Island. Don't take a yellow cab there. Just spend the extra money. Tar, of course, a type of movie that isn't built to be a massive box office hit, a movie that is going to ask uncomfortable questions of its audience. It's only made around $6 million so far, which is fine. Honestly, I'm not sure that Focus Feature has had lofty expectations for this title. But again, I'm hoping that this Best Picture nomination can give it at least a slightly longer life theatrically. 
And another one of those titles that I think asks tough questions of its audience, that is a great theatrical experience, a little bit more lighthearted. One of my favorite satires of this year. Neon had done this with Parasite already. They do it again with Triangle of Sadness, the Palme d'Or winning film from Swedish director Ruben Ostlund. One of my favorite movie-going experiences of the year and probably of the last decade. I'm not sure if you guys were able to catch this in theaters, but if you haven't, really try to make it out. It's, it's really, really a fun time. This is when I caught my the end of year DVD screeners when I was at home over the holidays. And thus, of course, it involved pausing it a few times because, oh, I got to take out the dog. Oh, got to do this, got to do that. So it wasn't the optimal viewing experience, but I still really had a good time with it. And I like justice for Dolly De Leon. She should have been nominated for supporting actress. I don't know who I'd kick out, oh, really? but she was yeah. amazing. Oh, she was fantastic. I think she makes the film. I completely agree with you, Rebecca. And what else do we have here on the list? Finally, we have Women Talking, another film that I watched on a screener as opposed to on the big screen. It really just came out limited over the Christmas corridor and is only now kind of widening out to 100 plus theaters. Yeah, I mean, it's a film about gathering in crowds, about connections, about communal dialogue, about that sense of community. So I think it would work really well in a cinema. I just, you know, caught it on my screener. I'm surprised this movie's barely made over a million dollars since its platform release over the Christmas weekend. Yeah, it's been at most very, very limited with 150 screens so far. I really do hope this gets expanded with this nomination. The ensemble is unbelievable. The cinematography there with a wonderfully desaturated color palette that just works on an aesthetic level, I think, brilliantly well. This is one of the best crafted American films of the decade. And as we've mentioned, with 154 screens so far, an expansion, I think, would really do wonders for this movie's visibility. This is probably, along with All Quiet on the Western Front, the one movie not too many people have heard of. I mean, at least Triangle of Sadness is coming in with the Palme d'Or. At least Tar has the performance from Kate Blanchett that is getting all this attention. Women Talking is a movie really that needs all the support it can get. And I think if audiences can give it a shot, it can really shine. So I'm, I'm very happy that, that this got nominated for Best Picture. A couple of snubs here I would have liked to have seen RRR on this list. Other than that, the movies I like usually aren't the movies that should be part of a Best Picture race in the Academy Awards. No Brazilian COVID-19 melodramas set entirely in an apartment. I get it. That's fine. Is there anything from you guys that you would have liked to have seen on this list that isn't there on the Best Picture race? I mean, I had no illusions about Nope being an Oscar contender, but I would have definitely liked to have seen uh, Kiki Palmer for supporting sound and cinematography. Yeah, I was surprised that The Woman King didn't receive any nominations across the board. I thought that in, at least in some of those categories, we would have seen something there. Daniel Deadweiler not receiving a nom for Till and also Viola Davis for The Woman King. And then just to jump back, Gina Prince-Bythewood along with Sarah Polly and Charlotte Wells, no female directors getting nominated this year. And it's one of those years where there's so many great movies from female directors. I mean, After Sun from Charlotte Wells, one of the most exciting features that I've seen in the movies, really, in the last 10, 15 years, it left me 
totally in tears. I could understand something like this happening if the output was limited from the films that we did get to see from female filmmakers. But there really isn't an excuse once you look at these titles that came out this year. Yeah, I think that has to be a major, major disappointment. And of course, we need to reiterate, when we talk about these Best Picture nominations, it's not really about finding the best movies of the year. That's not really the purpose of the Academy Awards. It's an opportunity to bring visibility and a diversity of titles to the global consumer marketplace when we talk about movies. And, you know, even though we are disappointed with uh, categories like Best Director not having the diversity that it probably should have, I do think that Best Picture race is appropriately diverse in the type of movies and the type of representation. And that's important when we talk about this art form being relevant for global audiences. Of course, when we talk about global audiences, we do have to talk about the Chinese market, which is slowly but surely recovering. Rebecca, what's the state of uh, the Chinese box office coming out of the Lunar New Year in 2023? Well, uh, Daniel, of course, you'll remember that back in 2020, the Lunar New Year was kind of the instance in which the exhibition industry took the biggest hit as a result of the COVID pandemic. I think it was the first really big wake up for a lot of people in terms of the potential effect that it could have on box office. Luckily, that was not the case this year. It gave IMAX its second best opening day ever, which obviously is great news. Did this largely on the strength of The Wandering Earth to a sequel to another very popular local Chinese production. Yeah, I think that you can't see me knock on wood, cross fingers, all that, but it does uh, It does look like the Chinese market is recovering. And in addition to that solid box office over the Lunar New Year, two Marvel titles, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which has already come out here, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, have secured release dates in China after a few years of Marvel not debuting in that market. So I'm sure the account department at Disney is quite happy. Daniel, the big story of the week, we probably have some people yelling at their computers or yelling at their phones. Why have you not talked about these regal theaters closing? So Daniel, what do we know? What do we not know? What are the areas of ambiguity here? Well, it doesn't seem very ambiguous at this point with every major outlet reporting that there are 39 regal locations that are going to be closing as part of the bankruptcy of Regal Cinemas and its parent company, Cineworld. We're still trying to get all these details sorted out, clarification from Regal where appropriate. We're waiting for a lot of these pieces to, to fit into the puzzle. But as of now, Rebecca, we are looking at a total of 39 theaters closing. Regal is really just getting rid of these leases. That doesn't mean that they can't find new terms, new lease agreements in some of these locations, or that other cinemas and cinema circuits can come in and sign new leases in these spaces, right? It's it's a big loss, I think, when we look at some of the major markets affected. We've got cities like uh, New York, Miami, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, Boston, Seattle, Berkeley, and the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, I mean, it's a major blow for Regal. We still have to see how this ends up, how many of these theaters get picked up by other folks. I have heard off-the-record murmurings that there are major players in the wings sort of seeing how the pieces to this puzzle end up uh, falling. But so far, I mean, we can firmly talk about some closures that are going to affect the exhibition schedule moving forward. In Miami, for example, that Regal South Beach location that's closing, that's where all of these Show East studio presentations are held. 
We're going to need to find what happens with that venue. Does someone else take it over? Does Showies transition to the AMC at the Aventura Mall the way they used to have? There's a lot of logistical second steps in this process as we figure things out. And in New York City, I mean, that Union Square location, had you been to it recently, Rebecca? Well, yeah, they spent a ton of money to do renovations on it and bring it up to the kind of center world visual aesthetic that they have in their theaters in the UK. I mean, it looks very striking. If someone does pick that theater up, I don't know. It just feels like a complete waste that they did that renovation so recently and now might lose the theater. I mean, tens of millions of dollars renovating the Union Square location in New York City to be absolutely gorgeous. Whoever picks it up, if anybody else does pick it up, has to de-Cineworld it. It looks like a Cineworld, like very, very specifically like a Cineworld. A real pity there after that wonderful renovation. And that combines with another major theater closure here in the New York City area in Manhattan, Rebecca, the Cinepolis Chelsea very quietly seizing operations. Uh, What do we know about that? Basically just that. They very quietly sort of announced, hey, Thursday is our last day open. That's a theater that holds a really strong, firm place in sort of the New York City theatrical scene. That's where a lot of Tribeca screenings take place. A lot of uh, post-Tribeca bar hangs at the bar across the street. It's a theater that, you know, I think in the... 14 years or so I've lived here in this city. It changed hands a few times. I believe it used to be a bow tie. They tried renovating the food and bringing some elevated F&B options. Yeah, it just seemed kind of like never quite figured out what to do with the theater, which is is a shame because it's in a very highly trafficked location. And I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, Two prime locations, one in Union Square, one in Chelsea, available right now in case another circuit comes in and and finds an opportunity to tweak the business model to make this work. You mentioned that Sinopolis Chelsea location also recently renovated. I mean, these are modern looking theaters in highly trafficked locations. I really do hope for New York's movie going culture, someone can pick them up down the line. Uh, Looking at the other regal closures, I think the Washington DC location, our colleague Jesse Rifkin was mentioning, that's actually one of the bigger DC area multiplexes. That's a big loss. And in Los Angeles, that's the Sherman Oaks Galleria that used to be an arc light. Regal picked that up in 2021. That's back in the market. Another, you know, location that works pretty well in a major DMA. We'll have to see how this pans out in the coming weeks. Yeah, Daniel, as always, we really wish for the best, especially for all the employees at these Regal theaters. And we will keep our audience updated as we know more information about it concretely. Moving on, we have had some schedule changes over the last week, including a movie that we've talked about a few times on this podcast before, White Bird Wonder Story. Lionsgate release had uh, was a big part of their presentation at last year's CinemaCon, in fact, and then was just kind of quietly moved off of the schedule. Now it will be opening on August 18th. Daniel, I know that that's something that it's specifically a film that we've talked about being curious why it wasn't getting the theatrical run. And well, now it is. Yeah, that's uh, good news to see this movie opening limited on August 18th from Lionsgate. It's going to get a wide release on the 25th of August. Elsewhere on the schedule, you guys mentioned uh, Megan working so well at the box office, a sequel already greenlit, Megan 2.0, scheduled for release on January 17th, 2025. January horror movies. 
I love it. That's, you know, it's a month that really works well with the genre. And elsewhere on the calendar, we've got some good news here. We always like to see when movies that were originally going to go for a streaming only release get a shot at theatrical. We're talking about horror movies that work really well. We criticized 20th Century Studios putting some titles like Hellraiser, like Prey on Hulu, not giving them a theatrical run. It looks like that narrative is changing, at least for the moment. Chad, the boogeyman, is going off of Hulu and now going into theaters this summer. Right. Based on a short story by Stephen King, a screenplay by the Quiet Place guys, Scott Beck, Brian Woods. It's now going to see a theatrical release on June 2nd. Of this year. Fantastic. We always like to see those things. And talking about streamers and theatrical releases, another good bit of momentum here with Amazon Studios putting Ben Affleck's air about the first year of the Nike contract with Michael Jordan. That's going to be a movie that could really have a sleeper success here at the box office in the spring. That's going wide. Wide. No, we're not talking about like 100 screens wide. It's going wide, wide globally. At least that's what Amazon Studios is saying. Set for release this April worldwide. A pair of decisions here from movies that we didn't know would get a shot to get seen in theaters, getting some momentum for the theatrical business. Good news overall. Well, there was that news uh, a few months back about Amazon supposedly investing a, a lot of money in the theatrical exhibition number. I think the figure quoted everywhere was $2 billion, though that was never really verifiable. But I guess we're seeing the fruits of that kind of start to come forward. And we're looking here at the box office as we finish up January. Avatar crossing $2 billion worldwide. Puss in Boots holding really well, even though Puss in Boots is available on PVOD. It's doing pretty well in theaters. You have to think if it wasn't on PVOD, would it be doing much better? I kind of want to see it to find out what the big deal is. I don't think I've seen a Shrek film in theaters maybe ever. I don't know. It was such a heavy VHS rotation movie in my house, the first Shrek. Like, I just keep hearing that it's really good and like this hold is insane. And, you know. Uh, shout out to our VP of sales, Patricia Martin. She went with her son to go see it down in uh, Tampa Bay where she lives. She loved it. She absolutely loved it. So she's got a, a big thumbs up for that title. Hey, it's got some Oscar nominations as well. So that movie's been holding on pretty well in the marketplace. And a new opener from last weekend that we're expecting a decent hold from here in Weekend 2 coming up. Missing, the spiritual sequel to Searching, a movie that came out in 2018. Searching made $6 million upon release in 2018. This sequel-ish, if we can call that, Missing made $9.3 million. So a nice little bump above, I think, every expectation. And talking about expectations, A Man Called Auto expanding pretty well after that limited release going wider and wider. This movie is playing fantastically well in the middle of the country, guys. None of the film's 75 highest earning theaters were located in either New York City or Los Angeles. Wonderful to see a title like this connect with folks everywhere in the country. Daniel, it's looking like in terms of this upcoming weekend, we're not going to see too much by way of big films with a big kind of wide audience appeal. One of them is Infinity Pool from director Brandon Crodenberg, who if you've seen any of his films or for that matter, any of his father's films, not they're not for everyone. 
No, no, that's let's not offer a forecast for that. And then probably the second most prominent film coming out this weekend would be Close from A24, which just this morning found its way onto the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar nominations list. So, Yeah, I think it's going to be an, an interesting little diverse weekend at the movies here as we wait for the next major title on the schedule, which is going to be Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, which is going to be hitting theaters in mid-February. All we need are new movies Movies with marketing campaigns, movies that can find different aspects of the audience. We have that this weekend. Next weekend, we've got Knock at the Cabin, a horror movie from Universal. We've got 80 for Brady from Paramount. So yeah, it'll be, I think, a a nice couple of weeks at the movies coming up before the next Marvel title. Rebecca, Chad, thank you so much for joining us. And to our audience, thank you so much for listening once again. The Box Office Podcast has new episodes every Thursday, so don't forget to subscribe and share if you like what we're doing. We'll be back again next week. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Box Office Pro in collaboration with The Box Office Company and Record Edit Podcast. We'll talk to you again next week. 